Well, please take your Bibles tonight and open them to Psalm 46. We have read it, we have sung it, and we want to take a look at this passage as we consider an ever-changing world. I really wanted to title this, What Do You Do When the World Goes? And this is a very technical term, wackadoodle. Um, because if, if you are anything like me, and you uh, watch the news, you open the newspaper, you look around at the, the things that are happening in our world, we're having conversations I can't believe we're having. Um, we're, we're discussing things I never thought would ever be possible that would be discussed in our world. Um, and we, we find ourselves in a place where our world is constantly changing, and our, our uh, struggle at times is how does a Christian keep up with all of this? And, and what can we do to guide ourselves through these very difficult and challenging days? So I'm going to start by talking about an author. You may or may not be familiar with this author's name. His name is Martin Hanford. Um, I was trying to find more recent statistics. As of uh, 2007, uh, 73 million copies of his books have been published around the world. Um, and uh, you may have not heard of him, but you, may, you probably know his, his books. Um, he's a British author. He has one main character in all of his books. In England, that character is called Wally. In the U.S., he's called Waldo. Do you know Waldo, the Where's Waldo books? If you're not familiar with them, Martin Hanford creates these very extensive pictures with all kinds of things going on in the picture. And uh, somewhere in the middle of the picture is a picture of a guy named Waldo. He wears a striped hat, a striped sweater, and round glasses. And the goal of the Where's Waldo book is to find Waldo. Do you know why he wears stripes? It's because he doesn't want to be spotted. Little pun there. Anyway, so, but sometimes we look around our world and we look for God like he's Waldo. Like there's all this chaos that's happening in the world, and if we could just get one little tiny glimpse of God in the middle of it, we're reminded, okay, we have hope because I saw an evidence of God there. So I'll give you an example. I I admit I do like watching football. Sit down and watch a football game. You spend three hours watching men pummel each other into the ground, uh, carrying a ball, pushing it down. Um, You're engaged in that for a couple of hours. Maybe you you try to fast forward, if you can, through the commercials because you don't want to watch the commercials. You've had three hours of watching football, and at the end you watch an interview with one of the players who says, you know, I... I'd like to give thanks to God and my Savior for getting me through this. And you think, yes, isn't it great that someone acknowledges God? But that's just one little piece. Is that, is that really how our God operates? Is, is our God really watching what's going on in the world? And are we thinking that our God is, is like Waldo, just waiting to peek out and give us a little glimpse of himself? Psalm 46 gives us a more full picture of seeing God in the midst of a time 
when God doesn't necessarily feel particularly visible to us. And so uh, we will uh, not take time to read through this because we have read it and because we have sung this, but I would like to uh, share with you this evening three views from this psalm, three views of what we face when we are in the world to try to help us get a better perspective. As we do so, though, let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, Thank you that you are a good and a gracious God. Thank you that you are an all-powerful and an omnipotent God. And thank you that you are with us even through the difficulties that we face, whether they be uh, political, whether they be personal, whether they be financial, whether they be health-related. Father, you know all. And so we pray that as we read this psalm, as we uh, take a look at the words of this psalm and the stanzas of this psalm, that we may understand and know something more about you than we knew before. And Father, may it give us hope and encouragement as we walk this life. And we give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 46, which was a song, there are three stanzas, each of which are ended by the word selah, Uh, often considered to be a moment to just pause and think about what was written. And so in each of these stanzas, we see a a different view of what's going on and what the the psalmist here is uh, is looking at. And so in the first stanza, in verses 1 through 3, we see the view through personal conflict. When I'm in the middle of difficulty, when I'm in the middle of struggle... Um, what do I think? This is about where I live every day. Is God there? Is God active in my life? Is he, is he really present? Or do I ever have those moments where I feel like God is being particularly silent and maybe he's not really there? The psalmist here begins with, with this proposition, and this is a, a very legitimate and appropriate way to look at God's presence. It is... And he begins with the reality of God's presence. God is our refuge and strength. Um, Again, using a sports analogy, he's our defense and our offense. When I need to hide, God is the place I can turn to when I need to go hide, and he will be my refuge. He's also my strength. He will give me the ability to move forward and to carry through things when it feels like I don't have any more strength to give in a particular situation. And so the, the reality is that God is present, and, and the psalmist goes on to say, a very present help in trouble, meaning that he is present, uh, but, but the phrasing there can also mean that God is, is consistently present. He's, he's a proven help in trouble, that he's there, and, and, but we know that he's there because he's shown himself to be consistently present in our lives. He's our refuge, he's our strength, and he's present, and he's proven. He's active in my life. It's easy to forget that sometimes. I mean, we know that theologically, don't we? We, we know that there are times where we struggle, and we say, well, I know God is with me, but in those very quiet moments when we're struggling, sometimes it's hard to remember that God really is right there. When we get that difficult diagnosis, or we hear that tough news, or there's a a situation we just don't know how to resolve. God is active in my life. And then the psalmist goes on to say, even though the earth be removed 
and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. You know, that's a pretty cataclysmic kind of event. There are lots of, of very difficult things here. But the psalmist says, no matter what, I am reminded and I remind myself that while I'm in the middle of my struggle, whatever I may be dealing with, whatever I may be facing when I look at the world around me, God is always right there. As his child, God is always right there. He doesn't go away. We may not feel him the way that we wish we could feel him. We may wish that at times God would just reveal himself to us and show himself standing there, but we don't have that. We have the confidence of his word that he is with us. And so there's a reality to the presence of God that when we're in the middle of our struggles, we need to hang on to. Because it's easy to lose that. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to have that little voice say, where is your God? As David shared in another psalm. But then we see the response to God's presence. The psalmist then goes on to say, therefore, on the basis of knowing that, on the basis of being aware that God is with me, therefore will we not fear. I won't give in to fear. I won't allow the situation to somehow obscure my view of who my God is and where he is in my life. And again, it talks about the earth being removed and the mountains being carried into the midst of the sea, something probably none of us have ever seen. But this would be an event where where the the waters roar. uh, Verse 3, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the event, no matter how drastic it may seem, I don't have to be afraid. As a matter of fact, I will choose here not to be afraid. This this psalm is particularly uh, meaningful to me personally. uh, A number of years ago, I worked uh, for a philanthropist in New York City. And I was on my way into work one day, and uh, I noticed what looked like a fire in the World Trade Center. And uh, as I was watching from the bus from the other side of the river, I watched the second plane on 9-11 crash into the building. And I was on a bus. We got into the city through the the tunnel. And once we got into the city, they told us that all the tunnels were closed. I, I was kind of hoping to have grandchildren so I could tell them someday about the time I was stranded on an island with 7 million other people. Uh, But I won't have, I'm not sure I'll have that privilege. But as we, as we all got to work, we didn't have the kind of uh, connectivity and resources that we had now, so we just had the radio to listen to. And when, when you hear something like that, you think, well, you know, first responders will fix that. And as we, as we sat in the office, we heard the words that the North Tower has collapsed, and we thought we really had best evacuate and get out of the city. And so uh, from work, I, I walked... Uh, to get out on the, on the other side of Manhattan. A coworker and I went, and when we got, we used to walk through Times Square every day, and they had those big, giant screens, and that's where we saw the, the first video clips that everybody else was watching of what was happening on 9-11 that day. And as I stood there, and as I felt fear from people all around me, the Holy Spirit brought Scripture to mind, and it was this Scripture. Therefore, 
will he not fear? Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and swelling. And in that moment, uh, while others were worried and fearful, and it wasn't that there weren't any concerns, um, I stood there and the Holy Spirit gave calm in the midst of that particular time. It's why part of why I really love this psalm is because God spoke to, to my heart at a particular time. It was a, it was a very interesting time. I will say it took me six hours to get home when I... Uh, when Ruth walked through the door, a friend dropped me off at a restaurant. When Ruth walked through the door, she cried. I still choose to believe they were tears of joy when she saw me. Um, but uh, uh, it, was a, it was a very fearful time. But whether that's m- that moment for me or there are things for you that you deal with that maybe no one else in this room has, has any idea about, you're struggling and, and facing a difficulty and a challenge, and you think, God, where are you? The psalmist here reminds us that even in the midst of our personal conflict and when things are going on around us and there's challenge, that God is with us. He is there. And if we choose, we don't have to be afraid. Now, there's a second view in this psalm, and it's found in uh, verses 4 through 7. And it is this, the view in the divine calm. There's there's nothing wrong with that first viewpoint. There's nothing sinful. It's good to remember that God is there and God is with us. But often when we're there and we find ourselves in difficulty, we we start to question what God is doing. Is Is he really there? And sometimes we start to think, at least I do, that God is responding to things that are happening in the world. That, that things are happening and, and God watches it happen and then says in his divine mind, well, I need to, to respond to that. I believe that Psalm 46 gets us out of the mode of just thinking about the struggle that we're in and gets us thinking about where God is when all of these things are happening. Here it says, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. This is, I believe, a historical reference to Jerusalem, the place where God would specifically dwell with the people of Israel. It may be, to some degree, illustrative of uh, what the divine sanctuary is like in heaven, where God is. But where I may be, and where there may be struggle, where God is, the picture is very different. And the psalmist here ends that first stanza with, "There's, there's mountains falling into the water, the idea is that there's earthquakes, there's water that's springing up, and it's, it's, there's a big roar in the water. Stanza number two, there is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of our God. It changes the picture. It tells us that while over here I may feel like there's, there's chaos and there are things that are going on, when I look at where God lives, there's calm. God isn't worried about what's happening in our world. God isn't stressing. He's not wringing his hands. He's not wondering what it is that he's going to do in any particular situation. Where God lives, in contrast to where I live, there's calm. So this this section talks about the place of God, the place where God is. It says there's this stream, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. 
the tabernacle being the place where God would dwell, God is there. And, and this is particularly a view of Jerusalem. There are some, uh, lots of commentaries on whether this represents a particular river, whether this refers to the waters of Shiloh. Uh, scripture isn't necessarily clear, but the idea here is that where there's chaos in the world, there's calm in the presence of God. And I think it, it does us well to remember when we're in the midst of our difficulty, we can say, thank you, God, for being here, but thank you that where you are, there's no chaos. There's, there's calm, that you dwell in the midst of your people, and that, that you are right there, and there is a sense of calm. It also says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her at the break of dawn. So there is the, the place of God, but there's also the plan of God. Because God is in, in the midst of her, if God is in the midst of Israel, she won't be moved. God will help her. Some have uh, suggested that this psalm is written in response to the attack of uh, King Sennacherib, and you may remember that account. Israel was outnumbered. It looked like uh, their, their days were short, and uh, Sennacherib said, I'm going to come in, and we're going to wipe out Israel, and they prayed, and it says King Hezekiah went in, and he spread out the letter that came from Sennacherib before the Lord, and when they woke up the next morning, uh, the armies of Sennacherib were dead. God had won the victory for them without them having to do anything, but the idea here is that there is a place where God is, and there's a plan that he is in, involved in, and that plan brings for us peace. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And so, when the nations, uh, excuse me, when nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. God was carrying out his plan even in the midst of that difficulty. God is always carrying out his plan. We don't always see it. We wish we could. There are, there are times where I wish I could get a, a glimpse into the throne room of God and see, God, what are you doing through our nation today? What are you doing in the world? What are you doing in this situation? And it's not mine to know. My confidence is that God has promised to be with us. He's told us in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never fail thee nor forsake thee. And even last, uh, last Sunday in the morning service, we read Psalm 2, where it talks about um, the nations that rage and that there's, there's uh, anger among the nations. And it says, He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh them to scorn. The Lord shall have them in derision. God isn't God isn't touched by the chaos of our world. God is ultimately in control of everything that goes on in our world. And so lastly, in this, in this part here, under the, uh, the divine calm, there's a presence of God. The Lord of hosts, the capitalized Lord there, a reference to the personal name of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He is there. That even though nations are raging, that even though there is what seems to us to feel like uh, situations that we can't control. He's present, and he is there, the Lord of hosts, referencing our God and the many armies at his disposal, the God of Jacob, the God who promised 
to Abraham a nation, he is our refuge, the psalmist says. Israel has security. We as the church have similar security. Our security comes through the finished and accomplished work of Christ, the new covenant that God gave to us. So while I may be struggling in personal conflict, and it's good to remember that God is present, it's only a portion of how we should see God. God isn't just there struggling with me in my conflict. God is in his perfect place, completely calm and in total control of every situation going on in our world. God knows what gas prices are going to be tomorrow. God knows what inflation is going to be like. God knows who the next president of the United States will be and when that will take place. God knows all of that, and he's in control of all of that. And we do well to remember, not just in the middle of our struggle, that God is present with us, but God is present in his place where he dwells, and he's ultimately in control of everything. But there's a third view that's here in Psalm 46. And that third view would remind us that not only is God calm in heaven, not only is he present with us and he's calm in heaven, but lastly, there's a view amid human conflict. In other words, when there's human conflict going on, God is with his people, God is in heaven, but what is God doing actually among the nations as they rage. So the psalmist says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He turns the, burns the chariot in the fire. So this is the view amid human, human um, contention. The view amid human contention. And it, it tells us here that there are some actions that God makes. Come, behold the works of the Lord. So what is God doing? He makes desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. These are weapons of war. And the psalmist reminds us that for God, everything that man can bring against the power of God comes to naught by the word of his power. God can do anything. God can, with a moment, speak, and the world changes around us. God acts. And God is acting in our world, even in ways that we don't always see. God also, his exaltation, God says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know here he doesn't say, I'll be exalted despite the nations. That God will even be glorified through the things that happen in our world by the nations, that that God will ultimately bring glory to himself, just as he brought glory to himself through Sennacherib and his attack on the people of Israel. I will be exalted in the earth. God says, so be still. Don't strive. Don't strive. And then God gives us again an example of his presence. That last verse, verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. It's a, a refrain exactly as verse 7, the God of Jacob is our refuge. I fear, and and I feel this too, that there's a tendency that, that I have in this day to want to strive with the world and try and convince them through some sort of of logic or argument 
that, that their thinking is wrong. And I'll give you a couple of examples just from this week. On Monday, 4th of July, Ruth and I went to, to Caribou Coffee. For those of you who know me, I know it's a shock that I went to Caribou Coffee. But we were sitting at Caribou Coffee, and this, this young woman came in and sat at a table as Ruth and I were sitting there chatting. And she was wearing this brightly colored sweatshirt. And the sweatshirt said on it, I don't care what the Bible says. And as I sat there, I, I will be honest, my first response was, well, maybe I should get a sweatshirt. And maybe my sweatshirt should say, I don't care what your sweatshirt says. <laughs> not, not the most godly thought that ever went through my mind. I'll, I'll confess that. But, but, but there's this tendency to like, well, you know, now we're, we're just going to be more blatant with our attack on spirituality. Why don't I just be blatant and strive with the world on its same terms? Or also this week, I was looking at that bastion of spiritual truth Facebook, and uh, someone had posted a note that said, I believe Christians need Jesus, but the world doesn't need Jesus. Stop saying the world needs Jesus. We don't want Jesus. We don't need Jesus. You Christians can have him. We're just not interested in Jesus. And my first thought again was, well, maybe I should respond in kind. Maybe I should write a, a post that says, you may not want him, but you still need him. But sometimes we get into striving with people. We want to argue with people. We want to try to somehow mentally convince people that what God has said is true. And it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because the unbeliever will not see spiritual truth unless God does a work in his or her heart. That's what Pastor Jeremy talked about this morning. It's why we need to reach people with the gospel of Christ. We don't need to change the politics of our world. I mean, certainly as citizens, we can have a voice in what our politics are. But we can't legislate salvation. It comes through a working of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual as we share the gospel of Christ. And that is what people need. And so it's not about us arguing or debating or putting a post on Facebook or thinking, aha, I gave them a great argument. Because has anybody ever changed their mind about anything on Facebook? The only thing I've ever changed my mind is maybe I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. God is ultimately in control. And when we think that we have to then step in and engage the world, it doesn't mean we don't do battle sometimes. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for the truth. But when we engage the world on logical terms or political terms, we've missed the point of a God who works through us who does battle on spiritual terms. We, we, we take away the power of God, not that God is restricted by us, but, but we don't think highly enough that God is able to do things in our world. It's why great revival has come, not through legislation, but through prayer. It's why changes in our world happen, because, because we pray. And so we have this presence of God. And throughout the psalm, this psalm, God's presence weaves through the psalm. God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We have confidence that God is with us, that God is present, that he's active. And our responsibility as believers is then when we find ourselves in the middle of that struggle to trust in the presence of God, but also trust God's still on his throne. 
God's still at work in the world, even when I open the newspaper and I think, what in the world is happening? God is sovereign. I've uh, given you a quote on the back of your notes. Uh, We won't take time to read through it by uh, Jonathan Edwards. But I will read uh, just one sentence. It's about two-thirds of the way through that. It says, God is possessed of such perfections and excellencies as to qualify him to be the absolute sovereign of the world. God is sovereign. The world's not in charge. Our president is not ultimately in charge. Our culture is not in charge. God is in charge. He always has been, and he will be, and he hasn't moved from his throne at any point. So my responsibility then, my responsibility is to stop and to look at what God has done and to remember that my God is sovereign. And that's what the psalmist would have us learn. So going back to our our beginning conversation, when we see God as Waldo, we see God is trying to peek his way through, like the chaos in the world is out there and that God somehow has to force his way through it to let us see him. Psalm 46 says God is not like Waldo. God is like Martin Hanford. God is the one who's painting the entire picture. God is the one who's weaving the entire tapestry. God is the one who's telling the whole story from beginning to end. God is the one who is ultimately in control. And when we face a world that feels like it's going wackadoodle around us, we can be confident that God is still sovereign and on the throne. He's on the throne in the personal thing that I'm dealing with. But more than that, he's on the throne and present among his people. He's on the throne and active in the events of the world around us. And God will ultimately bring glory to himself through all that happens in our world. He will be exalted among the nations, among the heathen. He will be exalted in all the earth. And so as we consider our God, we need to remember that he's with us in our conflict He's securing us in his calm, and he's at work even amid the contention of our world. The next time you open the paper and you think, oh no, this is the next new thing, be confident. Be confident God hasn't moved. God is not shaken. God is not changed. That even though the mountains were to be carried into the midst of the sea, God is in control. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time that we've had, and I admit, Father, it's very easy for me to focus on the world around us and think, where is, where is God in the midst of this? But Father, I, I thank you for your word, which reminds me that you're in control. I think of the words of, of the psalmist who said, it was when I went into the house of God, then understood I their end. Thank you for being a sovereign and great God. Thank you for being above all the earth. Thank you that you will be exalted in that day. And so help us, Father, in the battles that we face, not just to give a cursory nod to your presence, but to live with a sense that you're present and active and at work in our lives in a daily way because you are God and there is none else. And so to you, May be all honor and glory and power. Through the name of Christ our Savior we pray. Amen.